a lot of us, I think on some level, believe that the goal is not to have emotions or to always be even keel or peaceful or not to let anything ever bother me. And the reality of it is emotions. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, One of the things I want to ask you first is about nervous system and healing. I feel like a lot of people sabotage themselves in life with their careers, with their friendships, with their intimate relationships, and they lack the, the courage and the confidence to truly be their authentic selves because of the trauma, the pain, the wounds that is tied to their nervous system. Why do you think, it's, why do you think we sabotage ourselves so much and are we even aware of the wounds that we have? Yeah, really, really great question. And when we think about trauma, I think naturally we often think about the moments we can remember when life felt overwhelming or something very big and bad happened to us. And the reality of trauma and all of the different experiences that lead to nervous system dysregulation, when we feel overwhelmed and namely under-supported, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a big event. It could be daily stressors. If We don't have that attuned caregiver that our nervous system quite literally needs to co-regulate. Those moments really add up and they don't go away. Our body remembers them. And Mm -hmm. I think probably listeners have maybe heard that word used. But what that means is it lives in our our habits of how we care for our physical body. Um, Our nervous system is so foundational that it, it actually directs and often plays a role in how we feel emotionally, how we regulate our feelings, and just our entire way of operating or navigating the world around us. And yes. So even if this trauma or these overwhelming, under-supported environments for many of us happen in childhood decades ago, it's still living in our mind and in our body. And it does contribute to patterns of self-sabotage, of you know, self-betrayal, um, of self-harm. And my biggest kind of probably cliched thing I say is, you know, oftentimes we're worried about how we're showing up to other people and we can really only be a caring, compassionate, loving partner when we're caring for ourselves. So mm. that, you know, inability to honor ourselves and our own needs really does impact 
our relationships, and in my opinion, the, the entire world around us. So when we sabotage ourselves, when we discount ourselves, when we speak negatively about ourselves to us or to others, when we don't create boundaries um, for our needs, what happens in all of our relationships when we do that to ourselves? We essentially translate that to someone else. If we're not able to show up in, in love and in, of self-care, this, even this concept of love, I think so many of us think it's a it's an external thing, right? It's based on kind of how I'm showing up or a transaction, a behavior that I'm gesturing to someone else. And in my opinion, love is an emotion. It's an embodiment. And it's connected to our ability to be connected to our organ of, of love, mm. right? Our heart. Um, and unless we are connected to ourselves, feeling safe enough in our body to be able to be a loving individual, we're not going to be able to honor those around us. And that the ability to reconnect with our heart really is contingent on safety, on having those needs mm-hmm. met. So I think while a lot of us, and I'm really happy kind of we're exploring into this because a lot of us, we oftentimes label these acts of self-care as selfish, as not a priority, as I don't have the time with very real life obligations, right, orbiting around us. And we do think that we're serving others by putting ourselves last. And again, it's the cliche of filling up my own cup first and mm-hmm. reason being I can map it onto the physiology. If you're not feeling safe, if your needs aren't being met and therefore you're not feeling safe, the way you're going to be showing up is not going to be a safe partner and it, mm. it might not be a loving one. It could be unhealthy too to the people around you, right? Because right. you're not getting the needs that you, the, the love that you need for yourself. Right. And the reality of it is we've all adapted. So there's some ways that we're trying indirectly to get our needs met or right, we're attempting to fill those holes or those those things that I never got, that feeling of love. And so we've lived in adaptation for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. the reality that many of us are living into is the choices that we're making as our best attempt to stay connected, to stay with that feeling of neededness or love or support from someone else. We're, speaking of our authentic self, we're modifying. We're not showing up yes. as truly who we are. We're not speaking our truth or we're not sharing how we actually feel, or maybe our wants, our desires, um, those are all getting squashed as a result. Right. So in my opinion, the impact is so, so great um, and is so real for so many of us. What happens if we never learn to heal the nervous system or just the, the memories of the past? What happens to us? We continue to recycle those early best attempts at, at coping, at soothing, at creating some semblance of safety. Um, And we, more and more, I think we end up feeling not fulfilled, um, disempowered. A lot of us then tend to blame the environment around Uh us, which is very true. Um, Because if we're just relying on that autopilot, there is no real space between what's happening and how we typically react. Mm. Even speaking about the nervous system really does highlight how a lot of this is neurobiologically, as I say, wired into us. That autopilot that most of us are repeating we don't have the space. It is a very reactive place, yeah. right? This stimulus happens and I always react the same way to it and I cope in the same way to it and I don't have that space to create that change. Yeah, it's learning, you know, I used to be a very reactive person in different situations. Some situations in life would have no effect on me and it would affect other people and I'd be like, why is that triggering you? Other things that seemed inconsequential, I would react so much, right? Especially in my 20s and teens and even early 30s. And it wasn't until really in the last, you know, five, seven years where I started to 
okay, I'm not as jealous anymore in this situation. And now this doesn't trigger me. And when someone cuts me off, I'm not flipping them off in return, you know. <laughs> and I think it took a lot of healing work for me to get to that space at this time. And I know I have a long way to go. Um, but if I wasn't willing to take a look in the mirror and say, okay, what are all those different things that triggered me and how can I mend them? How can I start to heal them? Um, I think I'd still be very reactive. And you talk about how to do the work about emotional maturity. And I think it's learning how to heal and have that emotional maturity, the space in between the, the event and your response. Would you call that emotional maturity or, or what is that space in between an event and a response and how you show up? I would 100% call that mm. emotional maturity, emotional resilience, really simply yes. the ability to do, deal with or, or to cope with our emotions. And I want to speak to the point because a lot of us, believe, I think on some level, believe that the goal is not to have emotions or to always be even keel or peaceful or not to let anything ever bother me. And the reality of it is emotions contain information, mm. um, especially the core emotions are very evolutionarily driven um, to indicate messages to us. When we are feeling angry, it's usually because we're feeling violated or a need is, has gone unmet for too long. When we're feeling loss, um, it's because we have, we have a perceived, we're missing something in a given moment and we feel sad usually. Yeah. So emotions have value. The reality though, because very few of us, like myself, grew up with an attuned caregiver who could understand, regulate their emotions, show up as that safe individual to help our nervous system regulates so then over time we could gain awareness and understanding and over time the ability to cope with our own emotions. Mm -hmm. and so few of us were modeled that experience and so again we'll adapt. We might even take on the way that we've observed our parents navigating our emotions and again the goal isn't to say I'm an adult and I don't feel anything. I'm emotionally mature. It's actually to be able to drop in and to notice when our body is you know, shifting and changing in terms of its sensations, indicating that we might be feeling something and that sure. that feeling might have value. And then right. in that space where maturity comes in is not to just react from it, as I know I still often do in moments, <laughs> screaming, yelling, you know, not talking to you because I've become upset and fleeing emotionally feels mm -hmm. the safest. Both things I learned from my dad and my mom, respectively. And ultimately being mature is learning how to show up, acknowledge yeah. what I'm feeling, and then learning a new way to cope with it, to share it, to look for support, mm -hmm. to get it out of my body if it is a sensation. Right. I think uh, Susan David, when, when she was on, she said that emotions should be data, not the direction to head into. Not mm -hmm. a reaction of like, I feel angry, now that's the direction I'm going to go into. It's more, okay, that's data, like you said. How can I breathe into it? What, are, what actions do I need to take in a more emotionally mature way? Um, what happens when we always react based on how we feel and we react with emotional immaturity? What do, you, what do you think occurs in a human being's life in a relationship or just life in general? I think even to expand on Susan Davis, right, we, be, we become the emotion. A lot of times that reaction right, is the physiology, is the stress hormone shooting through my body, is the constriction in my muscles leaving me no option even but to react from that place. It's, it's becoming meaning like I am angry as opposed to I'm experiencing the emotion of anger. I'm observing right, my physical uh -huh. body, becoming uh -huh. tense in the same way. Right? I'm becoming constricted, I'm becoming hot, I feel the stress coming through my body. Right? I'm, I feel the part of me, the body reaction of anger, but I'm not 
becoming it and the impact when we become it, I mean, can be really great. Some of us turn that impact inward and we mm -hmm. self-harm. Again, we self-betray, we self-neglect and others, we project it outward. We find the blame and right, we react and we cause harm, hurt mm -hmm. to our loved ones. To and ourselves and others. Ourselves and others. That can be a really shameful place. I mean, when mm. we're hurt, hurting, I believe at our core, at least humans are compassionate creatures and I believe when we are causing that self or other harm, it is a very shameful place to be. How do we, why do so many people not believe they are lovable? Why do they not love themselves or believe they're lovable? Um, and how does someone start to begin to believe that they are deserving of love from themselves and others? I love this question. I was actually just talking last night. I was hanging out with uh, Lisa Blylu and Jamie uh -huh. Kern, and we were exploring why do so many of us feel unworthy? What is going on here? And I think the answer lies, again, in, in our childhood, in our earliest relationships, where as a human infant, we are dependent on someone showing us some level of care to literally keep our, at least at minimum, physical body alive. And for the large majority of us who didn't have physically present parents or who maybe didn't have emotionally attuned or present parents, the more consistently no one showed up for us in service of our needs with the developmental maturity or immaturity that we have at that age, we don't have the ability to pull back, to understand maybe our parents or our caregivers' trauma or the fact that you know resources are low and mom or dad has to work five, six jobs you know, all throughout the night and aren't able to be physically available. Or maybe mom or dad didn't have emotional attunement in their childhood, so they can't necessarily have the skills to show up for you. Unfortunately, as children, all roads lead back to a very egocentric or me, I've played a role oriented view. So yes. in absence of a caregiver showing up, the only way that our very developmentally immature mind can make sense of it, and a human brain is always seeking to make sense of experiences, even in childhood, it will land on some version of I am the reason Man. this person can't be available to me. So in other words, I am not worthy of this person, because to speak to your point, at the core, I believe most of us humans, and we conferred last night and came to the, the determination that it really doesn't matter what walk of life or even how much success you might have externally, I think so many of us have that core wound still and are carrying really? that with us. Is that something you still have? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. There, And we were, I was musing about and thinking, and I've landed on, I'm not sure if there's, as is the utopian state of doneness that mm. I think so many of us were looking for. Yeah, I want to I'm be finished. done healing. I'm, I'm finished. finished. I just want to <laughs> kick back and I, so it's over for me. I can relax. I think maybe the same conversation applies to uh -huh. you know, self-worth, meaning I think that it might be more of a scale. Um, there might be moments where right, we feel dropped into ourselves. what I believe is our inherent power and worth and ability to really create any. Um, choice that we would want yeah. to make in our life. And then there's all of the other moments, right, where deeper wounds are activated, all of these kind of unconscious conditioning that we're just talking about now, mm -hmm. nervous system dysregulation that gets all wrapped up in it happen, and then we begin to feel less worthy in those moments. Interesting. Yet sometimes people feel like the more successful they are, the more they accomplish in their career or yeah. financially, they feel less and less worthy still. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're accomplishing and achieving and they should feel more fulfilled, but they still don't. Why do you think that is? I mean, that perfectly described me several years ago when you and I were first meeting even, and I was coming to the awareness that this schooling, right, getting a PhD, 
opening up this private practice. I mean, talk about years of accomplishment that I had planned for as long as I can remember, checked all the boxes, opened up, hung my shingle, had a successful practice, had a partner, mm -hmm. living in a city, right? Had friends, looked around, mm -hmm. wondered, why aren't I feeling fulfilled? Why aren't I feeling happy? Why aren't I feeling connected to this life around me? And for me, like many of us, our career becomes an extension of our attempt at feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. um, it's through the action of, and I talk a lot about being an overachiever, a perfectionist, right? This idea that I am only valued by doing. Uh -huh. And for me, it actually extends not only into these accomplishments, right? The accolades, the things I'm generating in a more professional way. I see myself still trying to perform, as I kind of think of it, in my personal relationships really? to make sure that I am worthy of today. receiving up, yeah, today. Really? Like, can I be the good partner, right? That's showing up in service of whatever you mm -hmm. might need partner. Or can I be the, you know, a needy partner who's good on their own. I don't even need your support. I got it. I'll support you. And when I don't perform in those ways to be in need, to need to ask for support, to show the more vulnerable sides of me, again, something I learned in childhood, squashing all of that with the fear that there would be an impact, that I would cause more worry, more stress to an already overwhelmed system, mm -hmm. I showed less and less of that. I asked for less and less support. I was nothing bothers Nicole, never anything wrong, and came to realize how that was a performance, how really? it was a deep vulnerability, and now even asking for support. And I had a lot of this come up actually around losing my mom last year now. It's been about a year in May. Um, and having moments where I was feeling low. I was feeling like I wanted someone to sit in my grief with me. And what I would witness myself do, usually after the fact when I was angry, was A, I would hope or I, have, I would have the idea that my partner should just know what I needed in any Without given saying moment. anything. Without saying anything. Yeah. And not yeah. only would I not say anything, Lois, I would actually <laughs> do the complete opposite. I would push you away. I would right. be cold. I would be mean to you. I'd even maybe hide in my room. Mm and wondered why I'm being sanctioned alone, why no one's caring, why no one's supporting me. Right, you don't Creating, care about me, yeah. I'm not considered. It's mm -hmm. one of my favorite yes. go-to meanings that I make when someone's not available to mm -hmm. me, not realizing, A, I never said anything. I never directly mm -hmm. said, and, and no one can mind read. You need to speak your yes. needs. And not only was I not speaking it, I was giving the complete indication that I want it otherwise, that I want it to be alone, that I want it that distance. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of those challenging moments Interesting. To, to think about, to work through, and even at times to continue to keep myself sanctioned alone and, yeah. you know, kind of fulfilling or validating that older narrative and also trying to challenge myself and let in support. I mean, you've been doing this work for a while now, uh, but, but specifically in the last three years, your work has exploded online through social media, your private communities. This book was a massive hit. Um, what has been the biggest lesson in the last, I guess, year and a half since the first book came out that came up for you? As you continue to rise in the accomplishment world, what came up for you in the uh, wounded world, I guess, for you? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think when I, two things come up. Um, one is one of the ways I've dealt with feeling overwhelmed and been able to maintain control. Well, not only was getting validated through achievement, but it was keeping myself distracted, right, by all of the things that I had to do right. to obtain that achievement. Mm -hmm. As opposed which, to addressing the, the... As opposed yeah. to kind of the deeper 
thing, right? Just always like, oh, I have this thing to do and this next thing to do and, you know, checking all of the boxes along the way. And speaking of nervous system, um, that tendency to distract ourselves or keep ourselves endlessly busy can actually be a nervous system response um, of, of flight. I'm fleeing the deeper discomfort that's happening here by focusing on this endless action that I'm doing. So having the opportunity even to write a new book and go right into right doing mode. Now I do have a very long to-do list to complete this new project. Um, that is always something that is top of mind. And mm. that for me starts in the mornings even, right? I wake up and I could very easily pick up my cell phone, start to address emails as opposed to keeping that time sacred and time for me to yes. make sure that I'm balanced and I'm committed to my own physical and mental wellness before I then shift into those emails. So that for me is an ever-present challenge. And of course, it's amplified when I have new big projects that I'm also excited about. Um, so it's how do I find that balance of making sure that I'm still taking care of myself, maybe exploring the deeper challenges yes. that are coming up as I continue to externally achieve and everything yeah. that kind of comes along with how I feel about my achievements, how other people feel about mm -hmm. the achievements that they're seeing me have. And that's emotional stuff under there. However, it's so easier to say, yes. well, I'm busy right. right, and on to the next. And I have a deadline that I have to meet. Um, so it's really keeping the space so that I can continue mm. to be connected mm -hmm. to the deeper stuff. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to write songs from John Legend, improve your relational intelligence from Esther Perel, or learn more about the power of personal branding from Chris Jenner. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. And each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually about 10 minutes long, so you can explore at your own pace. And each class is supported by downloadable materials, class guides, recipes, or more. Sessions, a new product from Masterclass, allow for a deeper dive into the lessons over a month-long period. And sessions include projects to submit to a teaching assistant for feedback, as well as the opportunity to learn alongside a community of peers. Masterclass is available on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. It's an amazing experience with invaluable information, and I'm a big fan of the session with Sarah Blakely, who's also been a guest on our show. She's incredible on Masterclass, and I encourage you to check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership, and you get one for free. Go to masterclass.com slash greatness today. That's masterclass.com slash greatness. Terms apply. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really wanna say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What is the thing that you feel like will, will support you the most as you continue to evolve and grow as a human in your career, with the, the service you're doing in your, your work, in a relationship that you have, um, what is the thing that you feel like if you could continue to process, heal, let go of, elevate beyond will support you the most? What is that thing for you? Keeping connected in space and time for me. As someone who grew up with very limited boundaries in my family, I actually spent a lot of time physically present um, growing up in a city home that there wasn't much space or rooms. There was always someone there. We mm. tended to move in a in a system, us Laperas. We like to think and believe the same things, eat the same food, make the yeah. same choices of how to spend our time. And I carry still remnants of that. So as much as I was just kind of describing emotionally, part of my healing is letting people in to my emotional world, allowing them to join me. There is very big part of my healing journey that also needs to create a separation and a confidence that I can and will meet my own needs, even in absence of that person being there. And I see this in moments from, oh, I would, you know, what are what are you doing, partner? Let me yeah, go like spend yeah. time with you, or you know, what do you want to eat? And kind of deferring and not being able to at times, even if they are present and available to me, coming to the reality that sometimes I need time away. Right? I live and work with the two partners that I'm in partnership with, and that's a lot of people. And so for me, it's honoring time, space for just me. And that uh -huh. might sometimes mean I've found some solace in traveling to Sedona for long weekends. And this is something that I don't think I had my first day trip alone until my late 30s. Really? I spent no time alone. I think, yes, I took myself out. I remember the moment for the first meal alone when I was something like 25 years old and I sat down and I ate a meal alone. So for me, it's aloneness that continues to be really integral to my healing. It's Knowing when I need time to rebalance and separate so that when I do come back, I'm, I'm more whole, I'm more connected, and I'm able to be a better partner. Uh -huh. So how do your partners understand then when you, you know you need your own boundaries to have space away, but also you're just saying sometimes 
I might be, I don't know, passive aggressive or avoidant <laughs> or whatever, you know, the silent treatment. And then in my alone time in my room or space and feeling like they're not taking care of me or not supporting me or thinking of me. Yeah. It's kind of like, how do you communicate then with a partner about, hey, I just need alone time versus I need you to come and check on me right. in my alone time. Yeah. You First, and I mean, we need to get clear ourselves mm-hmm. and I'm still figuring my way out yeah. too. When is this agitation something I need to be dealing with separate? Because that's how it usually manifests in me. Mm-hmm. I start to feel irritable, agitated, little things that I could usually, you know, kind of look past or that don't typically bother me. I will start to get passive aggressive, say starky remarks. And, okay, Nicole, you're getting agitated. And figuring out the difference then between, okay, this is an agitation that would be best served by me maybe even just taking a walk, not necessarily even traveling for a weekend. Sure. Just taking some space to just be in my own energy different than in the moments where mm-hmm. I want you to join me. Because for me, agitation is usually a sign that my nervous system is dysregulated, which is right. typically for me better served with finding some balance uh-huh. before I then engage or ask my partner to yeah. co-regulate. Go I have for to be a open to the support right before yeah. instead of like I am, come help me. And I have my arm out. Yeah, there's so much things can be resolved if we just take 30 minute walk in nature before coming back to the conversation. Yes. You know, not talking before responding from a nervous system trigger, right? So much uh, less pain by just taking a little bit of space in between the the event and the response, right? Um, That's interesting. I'm curious about, you mentioned kind of boundaries there and creating boundaries. What happens when we abandon ourselves on the boundaries that we need personally for ourselves, whether when we're alone, and also what happens when we abandon ourselves with others all the time? Yeah. When we abandon ourselves, I think ultimately we don't, first at least, look or hold ourselves responsible. I don't even think we're aware that we're abandoning ourselves. And I think what we more often do is we hold subconsciously this other person responsible and then when our need isn't met right so we've abandoned ourselves and didn't allow our need to be met instead of saying oh well nicole you know you didn't in this instance share that you needed support that was the moment where you did not open yourself up to then receive the support instead we do exactly what i like most of us did in my throughout my 20s which was we blame the other person with this idea that if i just found the right partner or if you could just change the way you are a little bit and show up in this different way, then I wouldn't feel that way. Mm. Externalize mm. the focus, the blame, and quickly that turns into resentment, which before long can be the ending yeah. of, of a relationship. <clears throat> we've, we've held you responsible <clears throat> for so long um, that that will bring up contempt. Even. Mm-hmm. When we put our feelings, the responsibility of our feelings on other people, like you made me feel this way, like you did this to me um, and now I feel this way and you need to change that. What happens in a relationship when you put the responsibility on the other as opposed to yourself? Not only do you set yourself up for resentment, I mean, I think at our core we are disempowering ourselves. Right. We're taking right, that emotion, that, that um, energy of change and we're giving it to someone else. To someone else. They and now have power we, over us. Now we're reliant on them modifying the way they're showing up. And the reality of it is, I mean, even the way I was just describing a couple minutes ago, emotions, right? And even what you shared a bit earlier, I feel sometimes things don't bother me and they bother other people. And other times things bother me and they don't bother other people. Yeah. 
right? I think that's a really prime, simple example of how individual and subjective emotions are. There are physiological changes that happen in our body that are, you know, related to how we're making meaning, mm-hmm. all the conversations, the topics we've just been talking yes. about, how we're making meaning of an event, how it's personally relevant to us. So in my instance, right, I'm, I'm not considered in this moment, and now I'm going to feel as if that's true. Mm-hmm. And this is subjectively mm-hmm. happening, this filter for each of us outside of our awareness and what we're maybe, maybe tuning into if we're connected to our body is the emotional experience. And we might be tuning into the reaction that we're having right. from that place, but we're going to disempower ourselves if we're hoping you change so that I don't have to feel this way. I think right. a more empowered Man. stance could be becoming conscious that I do consistently tend to feel this way and maybe I can even pull back the onion a bit more and turn my spotlight of attention, like I say, to the stories, the actual narrative, the meaning I've assigned to that unanswered text or to the dishes not being done or you know, the gesture that my partner didn't give me. Oh, it's because you didn't consider me. Now, the more we see those narratives, I think the more then we can get clarity on how we are, maybe our past even is contributing, and then again, give ourselves the space to become emotionally mature and to learn how to regulate as opposed to relying on the world around me changing so that I don't have that reaction anymore. It's so hard to put our, um, you know, the emotional responsibility of how we feel on someone else. It's so challenging. We've gotta be responsible for our own joy and happiness. Obviously, people might do something that you don't agree with, and so you have to have a conscious conversation and say, hey, yes. this is a boundary, and here, or here's my needs. Can we do more of this? But relying on the other person to make you happy is, is going to be very challenging because if they don't make you happy consistently, then you're going to blame them, right? Yes. And you're going to want them to change. Change who you are. Change this. I need more of this, more of this. And it's still never going to feel like enough, which is challenging. Something I want to ask you about. I don't think I, I haven't seen you since I started doing this work. Uh, but I've had two different photos of my younger self on my phone since I was uh, in the last, in January last year. So I haven't seen you since, I guess, I started doing a lot of healing work myself. And I've been talking about it on the show over the last year and a half. Um, and I had a younger photo of myself when I was about five for maybe a year. And now I've got about a 9, 10, 11-year-old version of myself. And it's been an amazing journey to go back and heal certain memories and wounds of the, in, the little boy inside of me, right? That felt unseen or unheard or neglected or sexually abused and all these different things that did occur. And then the stories that I told myself about those things or other things that were not met based on what I wanted. It's been incredibly healing, the journey to do exercises, intimate work, of reconnecting with that little boy inside of me, right? And going back into the past, bringing it to the present, saying, I've got you. I'm an adult in the room now. I can take care of us. I've got your back. Thank you for for getting us here. Thank you for overcoming all those challenges and pains and traumas and confusion of the world and relationships and parents, all that stuff. You did the best you could, not blaming him, but you did the best you could Thank you. Now I'm going to carry us, you know, to the next season of life. And I'm doing that for the version of my 10, 11, 12-year-old self that had different challenges and adversities. And I'm going to kind of do this, uh, you know, every five years of like, okay, what were the pains and the relationships, wounds I had here until it's all kind of come back into where I am now to kind of mend those wounds. How important is it for us to do the inner child healing 
and more people are talking about this in the last few years. And what happens if we neglect the little boy or girl or human inside of us that still has those wounds? I appreciate you. I was getting chills actually feeling my body when you were sharing that. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you speaking so openly, readily and showing your picture. Because this is one of those areas and those concepts where some of us, even as adults, might even feel a little silly when we Mm -hmm. hear inner child. What do you mean? I'm like decades beyond childhood. Mm -hmm. I'm past that. Ultimately, though, the reality of it is just like we were speaking about in terms of trauma and the memory that lives in our mind and our body, even if we are decades past Right, this childhood time, this little being that maybe some of us it's are looking still at the stored. picture. It's still stored it's still in, in us. us. Yes. And it's in those moments, right, where we're having that emotional reaction, where we are feeling less than, unworthy, not good enough, that that is very much alive and real. And that's part of the complexity of our human experience is even if it's not objectively present in real time, if our body is going through that phys- physiological reaction, it might as well be the stress that we're, you know, kind of, feeling through our bodies is is real, even if it's not happening in our current moment. Right, so right. I think that's such a huge important acknowledgement is that we are carrying the aftermath of those early events. And a lot of times we can see them in our emotional reactions or in our, our core beliefs um, as they show up for a lot of us day to day even. And learning how to first just create a relationship Um, with that space because even if those feelings aren't mapping onto the objective reality of what's happening here and now doesn't make them any less real yes Um, so for a lot of us when we are exploring our inner child i think one of the first things that really comes to the surface is is the hurt the grief the mourning even it's not fun to look at that we're carrying with us maybe for some of us for relationships that never were for needs that never had been met Um, And then for everything really in between and creating space to be a compassionate witness, not to, you know, kind of fall into the mindset of, oh, well, that's back then, right? I don't have time to worry about that now. And really allowing yourself that moment of whatever the feeling is to be the case. And then, like you're very beautifully describing, acknowledging that you do have another aspect of your consciousness now, right? You do, you can access new choices, and you can then, in that space, learn new tools to, of how to create safety for mm-hmm. that inner child. And yes. I believe for most of us, that's part of the journey, whether you want to call it inner child work or not. It's really just acknowledging these older reactions yes. um, and really creating the space to in, embody the change. And I'm very intentional with saying embody the change because, again, this is where we can't just have the idea. We can't read a book about a new tool can't and, be analytical. and never do anything, yeah, yeah. right? It really is the embodiment of you know, safety of a new way to cope with my sadness or my grief or my anger in a way that doesn't, or even just general new ways to care for my being that maybe I never learned in childhood that can translate into self-love over time. Mm-hmm. When I started to do the, the healing journey, as my therapist says, it's a journey. It's, uh, you know, it's not like, okay, I've arrived yeah, and it's done. I've done it, it's not a destination. <laughs> it's like, it's not a one-time event. Like, okay, now I'm aware. Although when I started to do the the processing of the inner child, it probably took about four and a half months of six hour sessions on Saturdays and, and every week diving in for two or three hours with my therapist about this for many months. Cause I was just like struggling in an intimate relationship that I was like, I need, I need to find healing. I need to find peace. I need to create clarity, freedom. I didn't feel free, all these things, right? But it was really all about me. It was never about another person. It was about how I was feeling. 
But I realized there was a pattern of different people that I would be attracting in intimate relationships for my whole life based on wounds and inner child, you know, traumas. And it wasn't until I started doing the healing work, there was a physical pain in my chest and in my throat that I would feel that eventually went away in one moment. Like I could feel this ball of pain in my chest after many, many months of having it, coming and going, literally disintegrate in my chest and kind of like dissolve throughout my body. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. But it was many months of intensive emotional therapy, right? And I felt this and I go, wow, that's really interesting. And I remember finally connecting that I am a free human being, that I'm not trapped, that I'm not stuck, that I don't need to change who I am to love myself or to get love from someone else. All these things that I felt like I had to do based on a story and a wound of the past. And I remember I was like, wow, this is powerful. Now I still had come like PTSD feeling in my nervous system when things would come up but I was able to have the courage to respond differently. And the more consistent my courage of response from a place of, okay, I'm feeling this, but I'm not going to react the way I always have in my life, it created more confidence within myself. And then my nervous system began to heal as well. And so when those things come up, I don't really feel it as much. There might be a little bit, but it's not like this, you need to react and respond from a fight or flight. And it has been a beautiful year and a half journey of peace and healing. But I'm, I'm a true believer it's because I continue to do it once I've realized it. I didn't say, okay, this pain is gone. I've got the answer. I'm done. I show up every two weeks. I do the work. You know, like you say, I'm doing the intensive work and continuing the process of connecting the, the earliest memories to the next stage of memories and trying to bridge the gap to where I am now. The different psychological memories of the past, whether you want to call it the inner child or the memories, right? And I'm just such a firm believer of what you're teaching and how to do the work and again, recognizing your patterns to heal from the past and create yourself, right? And so I'm so grateful for this. I'm curious, what is an exercise in your book, How to Do the Work, or the new workbook that people can start that maybe isn't that scary? To get started, if they think, Lewis, what are you talking about, this healing the inner child stuff? What is this stuff? This is crazy. What is one exercise people can start with to just be aware on the inner child or, or the memories of the past that will help them regulate their nervous system? Absolutely. Awareness. You'll always hear me. Sight begins with learning how to be that aware being or to live in that conscious state, being the observer of our thoughts, our emotional mm -hmm. reactions, the way then we're reacting, I want to say responding there, reacting, right, in the world around us. It's that observation step. But I want to go back to something really yes. profound that you said by acknowledging your courage in choosing because I want to highlight how any, even if very logically, right, so many of us have lived the aftermath of those old reactive ways of being, whether oh, it's self or other harm, and we have all of this now data points to mm. say, okay, that doesn't work. Right. So logically, this is how the new way I would like to respond in my being the next time this happens. And lo and behold, <laughs> when that time comes, because that will be, I'm going to really simplify it, a new response, right? I will embody something new. I will uh -huh. make a new choice in that moment. Inevitably, inevitably, that's going to challenge our subconscious mind that prefers those familiar patterns. Absolutely. That's actually an adaptation because we get to predict 
and there's safety in that prediction. Even if the aftermath is consequential in whatever way it is, it's, it's known. I've, I've verified it. Some of us for decades, we've verified, yep, that's what happens next. And now if I'm on the brink of making a new choice in and of itself, before I even make the choice, I might be faced with the resistance, that pull back, all of the reasons why I shouldn't make that new choice. Mm. If we do dare to embody or to do something new in that moment, it might even, that resistance might even drop into our body. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake caliper. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game, or when you're hiring for your business and you wanna find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Right. Where we feel uncomfortable, we begin to feel that discomfort of that unfamiliar experience. Mm. And some of us, again, that could contribute to leading us right back into those old familiar habits and patterns. So once we become conscious, then it really is a challenge to our, our mind-body system to embody these new choices. They don't come easy. And funny enough, one of the things I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about something else was for me physically – I used to avoid not only emotional discomfort, but physical discomfort. Even though I played sports my entire life through college, when it came to stretching my muscles, and I was always very tight, tight from, you've guessed it, my nervous right, system course. and my stress response. And I remember I used to have these big trainers pushing on my hamstrings, trying to stretch me, and I'm crying. Anytime my physical body felt uncomfortable, and once I stopped playing sports in college, any physical discomfort, I would avoid it. Oh, that means my body's not meant to move like that. Oh, I don't have the stamina to walk around or for this many minutes, so I'm going to not do it. Erroneously or, you know, in error thinking that this discomfort was, you know, my intuition, my body telling me, oh, you've reached your limit, Nicole. And really it was just that old pattern of 
avoiding things that were uncomfortable. And one yes. of the most foundational changes um, that I referenced too in how to do the work is how for me, rebuilding that connection to my body, challenging my body to, and it wasn't anything extreme. I didn't enter the gym. I still don't even enter the gym. I, it's about the small consistent. For me, it started with just daily stretching for 10 minutes a day, popping in a yoga video and stretching my body to that point of discomfort. And instead of abandoning yoga and I'm done with it for the day today, just allowing myself to breathe in that space. Yes. And so whether or not it's your physical body, any new promise or new choice that we set the intention to make outside of that familiar comfort zone, acknowledging that it will challenge our subconscious. So keeping that promise small and then there's the embodied practice, meeting mm. that resistance, all of the thoughts that are telling you to abandon ship, maybe all that discomfort in your body as you're doing something new, responding in a new way, taking some belly breaths instead of yelling and screaming, and then expanding that stress resilience or that emotional resilience mm. we were talking about earlier, learning that you can tolerate a bit more of that discomfort than you thought that you could. And that's how you develop that confidence that yes. you were speaking of. It's so interesting. You're talking about familiarity. I was thinking about in relationships where we'll see, uh, I speak for myself, but I also see other people that stay in relationships that are hurtful or harmful or not a part of their vision of a high conscious relationship, but they stay because it's familiar. And then when you sometimes meet someone who is very loving and kind and generous, it's not familiar. Mm -hmm. And you almost push it away because you're like, okay, that doesn't feel safe because it's unfamiliar. But really, it's just different. And it's really probably what you need the most of is this kind of safer environment. But where, why are we so tied to repeating a pattern of familiarity, even if it's painful, as opposed to creating a loving environment in relationships that we know will support us thrive? Why do we do that? I think one of the most counterintuitive you know, spaces to muse or consider this question is, why it is so difficult for many of us to be in stillness, right? To be in peace. We do on some deep level create and prefer the stress, Why? those patterns, the negativity even of it. Um, and again, a lot of this goes back to how embodied these topics are that we're speaking of. They're not just right thoughts in our mind. They're mapping onto physiological changes outside of our nervous system in our hormones and cortisol and how our body is adapting to the present nature of these continued habits and patterns. So our body gets used to these certain ways of being and prefers that familiar because something even as logical as peace, which we should all <laughs> desire, yes. right? And I share my story all the time for so long, right? Being a hippie at heart, all I've been endlessly searching for is the ability, and you said one word earlier too, to be free and to be peaceful. Those for me are like, feel like what we could call core yes. driving values. I want to be at peace. I want to have a safe, comfortable, peaceful, calm existence. And I want to have the freedom to do that. Yet what I would find time and time again is when there was the moment where there wasn't a stressful experience happening or say I was home alone without anyone around me to energetically, you know, cause me any disturbance. It wasn't that logically, it was my body. I, my, I had so much trauma and stress in my nervous system. And mm. for a lot of us, safety doesn't, I mean, quiet, stillness, stop, doesn't feel safe if we've right. grown up in an environment where that wasn't present. So counterintuitively, here I am, the hippie, wondering where my safe space is. And yet, wherever you go, there you are, right? The junk, junk uh -huh. buds in book. There I was all of the time, but what was there was this dysregulated nervous system. Mm. So 
in those moments on my couch with no one present, my body was sending me, my brain, so many messages of stress, of cortisol, of my heart, right, still beating out of my chest because my nervous system was dysregulated. I was in fight or flight in that moment. So my mind was left with no other option but to integrate that into this meaning of what's happening and it would then find the stressful event. Oh, right. It was that assignment you didn't do. It was this deadline you have tomorrow. You know what? Actually, it was this fight that you had with your partner because she gave you a look that you didn't like and now you're stressed out about that because what did that mean? Not realizing that my body was contributing to that story because our mind always seeks alignment. Scanning down what's happening in my body. Oh, it's stressed out. That must mean something stressful happened. Let me figure out what it is. Wow. So does everything come back to the nervous system then? Like this, our level, uh, our ability to have peace, feel loved, feel safe, come back to how our nervous system is connected to our mind and our thoughts and and our body? Yes. If our nervous system isn't in the parasympathetic mode, Um, of safety, of a particular branch of it called the ventral vagal, which allows us to be connected to the world around us, to our heart that I was talking about earlier. If we're not in that, and that, do you feel peaceful? Do you feel calm? Are you able to breathe deeply from your belly? Do your muscles feel, you know, available but not tense? Um, Are you in that space? And the answer probably for most of us is no. My heart's, you know, Mm -hmm. beating out of my chest. I'm sweating. I'm on edge waiting for the next stress to happen, or I might be on the other end of that spectrum. I might be completely shut down. Energy, what energy? I can't get out of bed. Muscles, I feel like I have no you know, ability. Yeah. I, I'm so fatigued in my muscles. I have no interest in life. A lot of us have called that for decades depression, have, have located the genetic you know, idea of this genetic component, which there is a genetic component, but a lot of us are in a nervous system state of, of shutdown. It's our nervous system that is causing those symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. So to simply answer your question, our nervous system impacts everything wow. from our ability to be in that peaceful, connected place to even kind of how we think about ourselves, to how we navigate ourselves showing up in our environments and really every choice that we make. There's a, I don't know if it's a proverb or a quote out there uh, that goes something like, it's better to be a warrior in a garden and then a gardener in a war. And as we were talking about this, I was thinking about how, you know, as you started to stretch yourself and allow yourself to experience some, I don't know, conscious pain, right? You then were able to bring on the stresses of life in a a more peaceful way. It's like if we don't experience some conscious pain in our lives by whether it be moving your body or working out or doing the healing work, pain is going to pile on top of us. And so I'm a big believer in doing the things, having discipline on a daily basis to push yourself a little bit and do the uncomfortable things, whether it's uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable movement so that you can take on the stresses of life and, and be peaceful, you know, in, when there is an attack, yes. you know, as opposed to reactive, so stressed, but you have awareness. You're like the, you know, the the silverback gorilla who can just kind of see the chaos of all the monkeys around them and not be reacting and then need, and you just kind of move through the space and say, okay, let's, let's stop this, you know, mm-hmm. with some more calm because you have confidence in yourself. You've done the work and you feel at peace in your body so that you don't have to feel pain when there's stress around you. 
And I think that's a, a, you know, something I've always believed in is kind of putting yourself through a conscious pain. Yes. Not hurting yourself, but helping yourself by expanding and stretching yourself. Yes. And I think a lot of people reject pain. They reject yes. stretching, whether it be physical stretching or emotional stretching. And that causes more pain in the future when you do that. And I think sometimes we do think that that's the goal is to get to a place where, like me, nothing bothers me, mm -hmm. right? Where we don't register the emotional aspect of the life around us. And emotions were grounded, in my opinion, in evolution. They all, like I said, the core emotions at least have played a role in, in giving us that information that has helped us to survive. And I'm saying all that to say probably not going to go anywhere, right? And we don't want them to. Yes. I think while so many of us, again, back to this elusive done place, I think a lot of us have this idea that once I kind of come up with the protocol, right, with how to live, that I'm just going to do that on repeat for the next however many decades we're alive. And while that might be a, you know, a nice intention to set, my question is always honoring the evolution of our human organism mm -hmm. of this body that's aging right i'm i'm this age now i don't actually know what it's going to feel like living in my body as it continues to change as i age i don't know what experiences and relationships and change i will undergo so this protocol that i developed maybe in my 20s or 30s might not apply to me in my 50s 60s or 70s yes. so in my opinion similar to the conversation <clears throat> we were having about externalizing blame Right? When we externalize our, our compass as well, right? even if it's this like protocol that worked in my 20s, in my opinion, we're still relying on something outside of us. And in my opinion, this intuition, this guidance that we're looking for is actually inside, and you probably guessed it by now, it, it speaks through our body. It's about learning how to continue to be connected to my changing body as I age into the decades and to drop in as my body's now experiencing changing circumstances and relationships and then looking for guidance in those moments as opposed to this external, yeah. oh, well, this worked last year, so mm -hmm. I'm going to do that again. We will attempt that, but in the instance where that's not the thing that's going to align with us now, if we're only relying on that, we're going to keep recycling possibly some of us habits that won't continue to serve us as we sure, grow and change. Sure, I want to ask you about relationships for a moment because I think you have a you know an, an interesting perspective about relationships with the relationships you're in, intimate relationships. And I'm curious how people can navigate, how they can set themselves up for success in intimate partnerships with what's happening in the world and just everything that's around them right now. So I want to unpack this for a minute. So. Do the same principles apply to same-sex relationships as, I guess, opposite-sex relationships in terms of what we should be looking for, how we should be communicating, roles, responsibilities, masculine, feminine energy, or is it different? I want to start there first. Personally, uh -huh. um, I think, you know, humans relating to other humans dynamically, whether whatever gender you identify with, it comes to the same components at our core. Um, I believe we are more similar than dissimilar, but that doesn't mean that even, again, throwing away gender designations, right. individuals are different. We actually thrive as a species when we allow, like a puzzle, all of us to have differences, different ideas, different strengths, different weaknesses, right? different ways of being in navigating the world. So when we're talking about our most intimate, you know, personal, romantic relationships, mm -hmm. whether regardless of the gender 
um, that you're attracted right. to or engaging in relationships with. I think the core components are the same. And at our core, we all desire to be in relationship, um, to be connected. It might not be romantic. I'm open to actually a future where we begin to explore different iterations of relationships that might work for us. But at our core, we all desire to be part of some interpersonal dynamic, yeah. whether it's with one person, with a community of people, whatever it is, we need that. And in that then space of this relationship, whatever it might look like, we all have the same desire to be honored for our individuality. So without even needing to gender it, I think if we make more and more space to create safety for every participant to begin to be who they really are, um, I think that's mm -hmm. the goal ultimately. Does that of come down? Does that come down to like total acceptance of your partner, or what does that mean? It means depends on what how we're defining, right? Sure, sure. Acceptance, because I think this is a blurred line some of us go to, where we have the idea that acceptance means enabling, condoning, allowing behaviors. Right, right. Um, we can accept someone for how they are, or how they're choosing to be, or whatever it is, and make a choice that might be different than, mm -hmm. right? Engaging, enabling, allowing. I've, I've got a philosophy. I would, love your, I would love your opinion to break this apart or tell me if you think it's, you know, a decent philosophy <laughs> or there's, and I'm sure I'll add to this philosophy, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning more and more through my healing journey, through my work, through experiencing a beautiful relationship that I have right now with, with Martha, my girlfriend, and us doing the healing work together. When I started, before I got into the relationship with Martha, I said, listen, I've always wanted to start in a relationship with therapy. Not because something's wrong or off, but because I want us both on the same page. Mm -hmm. Because I want to minimize future pain because we're not communicating or something. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a non-negotiable for me entering this new relationship. Because I was like, I either want to be single and pe <laughs> at peace and love myself, <laughs> or this needs to happen yeah. to allow for the potential for it to work in a beautiful way. And so thankfully she was all about it. She was like, yes, that sounds great. And it's incredible what we've been able to cultivate with this environment of shared commitment to healing growth, both individually and together. So. I have this kind of like six part philosophy right now, and I'm sure it'll have more parts to it, on setting up the best foundation for a thriving, fulfilling, intimate relationship. The first thing is both individuals being committed to a healing journey, a growth mindset, but it means diving into the healing journey individually and together. So working on it together and individually not one partner only committed to growth and healing and the other partner is saying, well, I'm not going to look at these things and I'm just going to allow myself to react, but both parties being on a healing journey. That's number one. And committed to it throughout the entire relationship. Number two is, number two, three, and four is uh, having alignment on our values, our vision, and our lifestyle. Our values of what we really care about as individuals, and so I actually went to Sedona with Martha and we did a journaling practice separately where we both wrote down our values before we got committed. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't just say something and she said yeah. it back oh, yeah. or, or vice sure, versa. Me too. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we both wrote it down separately in different exercises. Then we looked at the paper together and about 80% was all aligned, right? There was, and the things that we had differently were not out of alignment. It was just like, okay, cool, you care about that, that's fine. <laughs> but our values were in alignment. 
right? As opposed to, you know, someone saying, well, I don't, I don't want to have kids and the other person wanting kids or whatever it might be. It's like we were in alignment on, on almost everything. So the values, the vision, what is the vision for our life in a relationship? Is it aligned? Do we have the same vision? Do we going in the same place as opposed to different directions? And then our lifestyle. Are we in alignment on, you know, the types of things we enjoy doing? Because I think if, if one person loves to travel and the other person just wants to stay at home, there's just going to be a little bit more friction. I'm not saying it's not possible. I just think it's harder. So values, vision, and lifestyle. That's uh, two, three, and four. Number five would be before you enter a committed relationship, accepting, learning about them in a conscious way through spiritual connection, not sexual chemistry. Because I think the sexual chemistry um, confuses us without getting clear on all these other things first, right? There's a false foundation without the clarity of the values, vision, and lifestyle. So once you see and explore the individual you're in front of saying, I choose you and accept you for how you've shown up with your, your behaviors and your words match your actions consistently. So having accepting the person and saying, okay, if this is who you are, I accept you, you don't need to change for me because we're in alignment on these things, so I accept who you are. Now, if you fall off of a standard that we have on these, these shared values, then that's different, right? Something's got to give there. So that's number five is accepting someone based on how they've shown up, not hoping that they'll change or investing in them for the potential of what they'll do in five to ten years. Well, maybe they can step into this, right? And then the sixth thing uh, I just think is so critical, and I know this is like a, a, a popular book, which some people may agree with a lot, but I feel like it's so critical to how we were raised, is having alignment on love languages. I've been in relationships where the way I've given and expressed love is not the way someone needs to receive it. They don't feel loved that way through words of affirmation or touch. And it's just more friction to have to do something that personally you don't typically do. So if you, if someone really wants you to give gifts all the time and you're like, I don't care about that. You have to constantly do something you're not good at, a weakness, and try to improve that to make someone feel loved. So being in alignment on love languages and both doing the test to see, are we in alignment? Do, is how I show up make you feel loved naturally and organically and vice versa? Or do you need me to become someone else for you to feel loved? Those six phases, I feel like if you can find, again, there's no perfect relationship, I get it, but if you can find alignment on those six things and be on the healing journey of acceptance of we're both in this together, shared values, vision, and lifestyle, um, choosing based on accepting who they are, not the potential of who they become or the idea of them, and then having alignment on, on um, love languages, I feel like you're setting yourself up for a good environment for the potential to thrive and create peace and fulfillment. What are your thoughts on that philosophy of my you know, <laughs> newfound experiences about love and intimacy? Well, I'm smiling. Uh, I think there's so much <laughs> profound um, in what you're sharing. And the first really profound aspect mm-hmm. of everything you shared, and I'm going to simplify it as I often do, is knowing yourself. Yeah. And I'm sharing this because I've heard from a very large percentage of people how more often than not the focus when you begin to meet someone, get to know them, go out on dates, whatever it is, however that looks for you, focusing more on, well, do they like me? Mm-hmm. Are they going to call me back? How was it the date for them? Right? As opposed to, do I like them? How am mm-hmm. I experiencing this person? Is this someone I have interest in? 
getting to know more. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one really important, profound aspect of what you're sharing, which is going, being at that or cultivating and continuing to increase your self-awareness, what Mm -hmm. you want. And so many of us, again, from childhood, there was safety, maybe even, and worrying so much about other people and fitting your way into or being liked by someone else. So if you do see those patterns in yourself, I would imagine that they were adaptations that, again, were aimed at keeping you safe. So then the goal would be to begin to turn that focus and as opposed to worrying about what they think of you and if you're going to get that call back, begin to attune to how you feel in this person's presence. And another profound thing is communication. And this might seem so simplistic, but I used to do a lot of work with couples. Um, When I was in Philadelphia, I worked at the Council for Relationship, it was called. And true to its name, most people that came through the doors for treatment and sat in my office were, were couples. And I mean, I, it's shocking to think of couples even on the brink of making a commitment like marriage who haven't actually had a direct conversation about let alone values if they even are knowing what their own values are around children. Like actual decisions that might the couple might you know, face together never having directly explored with their partner what their interest is in terms of having children or not, mm-hmm. what physical geographical location might they want to look at. How might they want their life to look? You brought up travel. Some of these things for so many, many more couples than I would have imagined aren't actually spoken about. And maybe some of it is because these people as individuals might not know, right? Discovering yourself in that way. What are your values? Uh Even if we are adults who maybe heard that word value and want to live a value-driven life, we might not actually know what we value and how we want our future. We might be relying on the relationships we saw in childhood or the limitations that we've created based on right the adaptations, how we felt we had to amend ourselves. So those two things, while I simplified them, are a big part, you know, of that dating journey, getting really connected to you so that you can not only know if you're interested in someone, so you can have those conversations that you and Martha had where right. you're able to show up with your side of the value sheet to even see um, if there is alignment there and then communication, communication, communication. I'm having a thought too, just quickly about the Go love ahead. languages. Um, and without going into too much detail, I'm very uh-huh. interested. I have another surprise book project that yes. might be coming down the line, yes. all about relationships yes. called How to Be the Love You Seek. Mm. And in that, I actually have a whole chapter devoted to questioning this old model of love languages, really? very similarly to the way you're questioning it. So interesting. Um, that's only cool. a thing to think about. And I feel very similarly with, is that just an extension of adapting, making someone change? I really explore where love comes from uh-huh. in and of itself. I mean, even the title, how to be the love you seek. Yes. Really, again, trying to put the focus kind of not only back on the self, but on authenticity and space for that authenticity yeah. in our relationships. I think one of the, I hear this said by a lot of people, so I'm not sure who originally said this, but... A lot of people say, you know, if you're trying to find um, a great partner, make a list of everything you want of that partner and then go become that, right? And then attract from the list that you want from someone else. Become those things, you know, the partner you seek. Be it, like you said first. And you'll start to recognize, you know, like in athletics, game recognizes game. It's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I I respect that. Okay, you start to attract each other from a a healthy place as well, um, a whole place or a a process of creating wholeness inside of yourself as opposed to trauma bonding or wounded, you know, connection or trying to fix or rescue or those type of dynamics. 
I think what you mentioned before, a lot of people try to become their best self. They try to put their best foot forward when they start meeting someone as opposed to putting their honest self forward. And we, we are afraid sometimes to put, be fully honest because it might push someone away. And I think that should excite us when we are honest with someone. Does it draw them into us and make them accept and love us more or, or excited about us more and discovering the relationship? Or does it push people away? I think people hide the truth in their honesty so much to be liked and be needed and to try to make it work that later that truth or that honesty comes out and it's years later and it usually is like, well, that's not what I expected or that's not how you showed up originally. So with Martin, when I first met her, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth about everything, but you're not going to be able to handle it because <laughs> I've never been in a relationship with a partner where they've handled the truth mm-hmm. well. They've usually reacted or got emotional or angry or upset that they couldn't believe the honesty and my truth. And she said, please be truthful because all the people I've been with always hid that until later and then I always found out. So I don't care if it hurts me or if I don't like it, be truthful. And I said, well, there's a lot of things I'm gonna say that you're gonna w- walk away from. And so you sure? And she said, yes. And thankfully, I've just been able to be honest about all my values, my vision, my beliefs, all these things and she's accepted it. So it allows me to continue to feel safe. You know what I mean? Because uh, there's not this reaction to honesty. So I think that's really cool. But I think I lack the courage, and I think a lot of people lack that courage of being fully honest about what they want, their values, their vision, who they are. Um, and I think it, it suffers in the relationship later on, wouldn't you say? 100%. Yeah. I commend you for mm. the courage and the ability to it's a lot. action into that honesty. And again, at the core, kind of wrapping this even all together, we do fear if I show you fully who I am, if I show you my thoughts, my beliefs, my values, if I share with you aspects of my past and the choices or whatever it is, we have a fear that it will result in abandonment. Mm-hmm. Will you love me still? Will you remain safely connected to me still if you knew this? And so many of us for so long have had and lived experiences where that wasn't the case. When we shared something in childhood, having, you know, the the unavailability of our caregiver, having at worst like an emotional reaction where we're feeling shamed or invalidated as a result of it before long, that is a message that this aspect of me wasn't safe here. I didn't actually remain connected to this caregiver. There was a break in our relationship. So the more often that happens, the more I've now validated that it actually wasn't safe. And I've never given myself the opportunity to, like you've gifted yourself with, of that moment of truth, of navigating how it lands for someone. And we've created right an expectation of what we imagine will happen. And that's not always accurate or true. And even if someone does have a reaction to a truth, because I'd be lying if I say some difficult communications, you know, might elicit a, a most, some version of a reaction mm-hmm. from this other person, especially because they came into this relationship with their own story, absolutely, their own meanings, their own past and inner child that might be reacting mm-hmm. to what they're hearing. Yeah, The most important moment, in my opinion, is maybe not that moment of dysregulation or reaction, which might be human in our partners or loved ones, It's what happens next. Does that person come back to repair, to discuss, to reconnect? Because we can't help our humanity. Sure. Hearing something that's out of our expectation or that's difficult to navigate, you know, or brings up something in our own past experience might elicit 
a reaction, though what then happens on the other side? Can you come back, reconnect, reestablish that connection? Because for so many of us, that's where the real healing is, yeah. right? And someone we taking had a disconnect and yeah. now we can find our way back together. Yeah. yeah, and I think taking responsibility for our reactions, right? Or, or, or our emotions and saying, okay, I shouldn't have reacted in a hurtful way, right. you know, or screaming at you or something. It's yes. like, okay, take responsibility for that and moving forward. You're picking up a piece though too of, of communication, mm-hmm. right? Of sharing those moments of, yes. you know, I had this, emotional reaction if you do have the awareness of what contributed to it like Mm -hmm. we do all carry as we've been talking about the past and our journeys with us embodied in ourselves and the more awareness we have that's a gift to our partner right right? there's still many moments where i react from that inner child wounding where i'm dysregulated now over time my partners have accumulated enough of my story that they might be able to understand my reaction a bit more mm-hmm. in real time. So even if it's unsavory and they prefer me not to be <laughs> right, right. doing what I'm doing, right? And yeah. again, doesn't make any abuser, sure. you know, overstepping our boundaries okay, though it could allow an understanding in those moments. Sure, that sure. Instead of then reacting from the fact that I said something really mean, if I'm being perfectly sure, honest sure. with someone that I love, they might be able to keep themselves safely stabilized. Mm-hmm pulling back and understanding that I didn't truly mean that there was a wound that was speaking in reaction and having come back enough time with my tail between my legs on the other side of it, right? Responsibility. Yeah. We've developed now this, this pattern and this awareness and all of this happens again in communication. So the more we know again about ourselves and can share with our partners where some of these past reactions are coming from, while again, it doesn't condone or okay anything Uh that's abusive, it might make space for a more compassionate um, tending to yes. of those moments, which still might mean taking space from mm-hmm. each other until that party is, or me, I'm become regulated again. But it, we can do so in a way that doesn't have to feel so personal. Sure. And I think that's what you were talking about. The repair mode is so vital to a relationship. If someone reacts from that wound, let's say it comes out, and then they don't repair that moment or that experience, and they just dump it on someone and not say, hey, listen, that was, a, that was a reaction that was from this space. Thank you for not reacting and allowing me to have it. Here's my commitment moving forward. I'm processing, I'm growing. I think when we don't repair, that starts to hurt even yeah. more. Feel resentment, right? Yes. And one of the things that I was gonna say, it came back to me and I was about, I had gotten to a place where I was just like, okay, I'd rather be fully honest and be alone than be have to scurry around the truth or my truth and be with someone. And so I was like, I'm going to be fully honest in this relationship about everything. And if you can't receive it, then it's probably a good thing that we're not together because I don't want to have to put my false self forward to try to be an image that you like. I want to put my real authentic self forward and be true to myself so I can fully accept who I am and where I'm going. Knowing I'm on a journey and it's going to constantly progress, but I think a lot of us want to be in a relationship so badly mm-hmm. that we won't allow ourselves to love ourselves alone. We need to find someone. And I think I just finally got to the point where I was like, I'm happy to be alone for years if I need to be, if it's going to create peace and love inside of me as opposed to having to walk on eggshells with someone trying to accept me. So relationships are tricky. Yeah. Relationships are tricky for a lot of people, I think. And we're all on our own journey. I was telling Martha, I was like, if I would've gotten married 10 years ago, I for sure would've been divorced. Because I didn't have the tools. I didn't know myself enough. I didn't know how to regulate my emotions. I didn't know how to 
calm myself in times of stress. I just don't know. I, I commend people who last a decade in relationships, especially when they get married in their 20s or, or early 30s. It's like, I feel like I made a lot of mistakes in relationships without getting married, which allowed me to, to learn. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. I find any choice we make, and especially in relationships, is, you know, feedback. Like you're saying, those of us who have had, you know, unsuccessful relationship mm-hmm. or relationships that we haven't stayed in, Right. All of that is is information yes. for us to use to integrate and to move forward. And back to what you were talking about in terms of being alone, um, all this ties back to the nervous system. Our ability to feel safe, like I was sharing earlier, in stillness, for me that extended to aloneness. Like I shared, I spent very little time physically alone or alone with my own self, my own thoughts. And all of that is grounded not only in nervous system safety, um, to be able to kind of be alone means I'm safe in my body when I'm alone. I'm not relying on someone else to meet my need, and now they're not here, so my needs are going unmet, right? This means that I'm self-sufficiently, like, okay enough in that moment in absence to someone. And our nervous system, right, ability and theme throughout this whole conversation is grounded in our first early relationships. Yep. So very interestingly, the ability to be alone, if I'm really simplifying it, really is a function of our early and the safety and the security of those relationships. And the large majority of us who didn't have safe, secure, attuned caregivers, we do become adults who don't spend, can't spend, are afraid of time alone. Mm. We then seek relationship as validation, right? Because we have some idea that not only can I not be alone, it's scary to be alone, it means something about me. It means I'm unlovable, just like I imagined. So if I just keep myself in a string of relationships, doesn't matter who's necessarily on the other side of it, as long as I'm relating to someone, maybe even relying on them to meet my needs, how all this ties together, Uh I feel good enough. Mm. Though in the reality, I don't, because chances are, again, I'm relying on someone else to meet my needs. I have this core wound. I'm adapting. I'm probably not being my true self because I'm just finding the next relationship to be a part of, to validate this belief. Yeah. Mm, Beautiful. Well, I want people to get the, the new workbook, How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery. I think it all comes back to understanding and having awareness of who we are, what we've been through, our challenges, our past, and seeing how can we heal the nervous system with that awareness. And I know this workbook is going to transform a lot of lives just like How to Do the Work has done for the last year and a half. So make sure you guys go to theholisticpsychologist.com. Also follow you on Instagram. Your Instagram just continues to explode. It's so inspiring. The content you guys create, it's amazing. I'm always sharing it with Martha and we're like, yes, this is so true. It's amazing. Uh, The Holistic Psychologist, if you type that in on Instagram or Facebook, you'll find it. It'll pop up. How else can we be of service to you? You've got your podcast, your YouTube channel. What else can we do to serve you besides getting the workbook and the original How to Do the Workbook? I think service to me, and I will always answer some version of the same, is doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. Is really kind of creating the change, whoever you are, wherever you are in, in your own world. Um, and it can be even outside of purchasing. Um, I'm very passionate of making sure that the large majority of the content I put out each and every day is for free. It's a resource, a tool, because you serve me mm-hmm. by serving yourself, because ultimately you're serving the collective of which... I'm a part of. So I'm mm. getting chills even hearing myself say this because I truly believe this is how the world changes is yes. as we begin to show up differently in our world. So it doesn't yeah. matter if whoever's world you are listening, if you're on the other side literally of the world and you don't purchase anything um, that I offer, you know, just hearing some of these ideas, allowing these seeds to possibly be what grows into creating change in your own world 
is is everything to me. It's yeah. why I do the work, and ultimately, it's serving all of us that I believe we are all joined together in a collective. It's beautiful. So. It's amazing. Well, I want to acknowledge you, Nicole, for uh, the constant growth you have had over the last couple of years. When you walked in, I was like, you just look different. You know, your energy, you look healthy. Not that you weren't healthy before, but you look like you continue to evolve and this light is radiating from you. So I acknowledge you for consistently creating the work for us, but hopefully also doing the work for yourself yes. and not just creating and doing, but also being, which sounds like you're doing more of being, that is. So I acknowledge you. I hope you feel uh, seen and considered. I know those are, are something important for you, and I hope you feel seen and considered by your community, your close friends, you know, by me. I hope you feel supported and elevated. And um, I'm so grateful for the way you show up in creating work for us to understand, to help us heal and improve. So I really appreciate you. I acknowledge you. I want people to get the book, the workbook, check you out on social media. I've asked you this question before a couple of times, so I won't ask you here, but if you guys want to hear Nicole's three truths and definition of greatness, we'll link up the previous interview we did there. Um, but is there one thing that you could say to yourself before you put your first post out online? If you could go back to that day before you did your first Instagram post on this type of content. Maybe you were posting personal stuff, but this type of work. If you go back and see yourself, I don't know when that was, four, five, six years ago, if you could see yourself in front of you and say one thing that you're proud of to her and one thing that she needs to look out for, what would you say? I love that. First, I want to send my appreciation. Of course. I'm so, so grateful for you, Lewis, having literally three years ago when I just created that Instagram account, um, having that experience of you truly seeing of course. what I was about, what my intention and my mission was. And so generously and graciously inviting me on really has meant everything and an honor. And what I do promise to my whole community is they are here to continue to witness my evolution as, mm -hmm. as a human. And I don't doubt that you will continue to probably hear differences, tweaks, changes in my ideas, in the way I'm showing up in the world. And mm -hmm. that is, in my opinion, my, my service ultimately yeah. to the community. So speaking to that, that past self, um, some over three years ago now when I put up that first post, I would first share my, my pride that I still feel for overcoming what for me was a lot of fear and uncertainty of how it would be to not only present myself as a human behind the title of psychologist, which for decades of schooling I was taught was a fatal thing to do, and more and more over time I was being affirmed that individuals want to hear it from individuals. I have a story. I have a journey. I'm healing myself. It's okay to, to share my own story. And having seen all of the different ways I've watered down my truth in all of my relationships mm -hmm. outside of even professionally, for me, I will cite that action of creating that post and this, even the Instagram account is an action for myself in my own healing. So That's I cool. will commend that, that person and also share that they're safe because something I do know was the case back then is I did have a lot of fear. I did self-censor. I did water down certain ideas in fear of how they would be received. And I've continued to watch myself over now the mm -hmm. three years between that interim of continuing to gain more and more confidence of speaking what my thoughts are, what my ideas are, um, sharing my story more directly and understanding that there, there will be reactions sure. of all different kinds from people and caring less 
um, about what the reactions might mean about me and really focusing on, because all of this was gaining mm. confidence, learning yes. how to speak truths allows me to feel freer, feel safer, inspires other people to speak truths around me. Mm. Um, one of the most empowering things is being in the community, especially in the self-healer circle and you know, hearing from other people sharing their own journeys and feeling, feeling less mm. alone. So it's beautiful. Ultimately it's keep going, I guess would I like be it. the would be the morale. I like it. Cry for that old self. I love it. Nicole, thanks so much. Appreciate you coming you. on. Thank you so much, Lewis, as always. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.